things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. Sorry I wasn't here Monday. Had a day off, obviously, because of a travel commitment, so I had to take care of that. Plus, I had to be a guest speaker at my pastor's foundation uh, or his fundraiser, actually, and the pastor calls. I mean, you don't want to upset the good Lord or one of his most revered servants, do you? The pastor called, I came call, I came coming. That's what it is. So that's why I wasn't here Monday, but I'm back today. I'm live coming at you from Los Angeles, California. Um, I will not be taking phone calls today. I'll be taking some text messages and what have you. But my phone calls, my phone system enables me to do so from my New York studios, not necessarily as of yet from my L.A. studio. So I will not be taking phone calls today, but I will be taking text messages, emails, things of that nature, stuff that you guys put on social media. So feel free. Again, I'm here in L.A. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. By the way, remember to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show on YouTube. Click the bell to get notified of all of our new content, okay? And be sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times best-selling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Before I get into a bevy of items in regards to today's show, I wanted to take a moment to do something that I don't normally do. It's actually something I'm allergic to doing because when it comes to this particular franchise that I'm talking about, it's hard for me to even get to talk about the franchise because I have to think about a disgusting, nauseating fan base that has wrecked my nerves for decades. You know, so as far as I'm concerned, you have every time, every time they pass gas, they think it's perfume. They make me sick. I can't stand them. Obviously, I'm talking about Dallas Cowboy fans, but it is appropriate on this particular day to take a moment to give love to my Libra buddy, my Libra buddy. His name would be Mr. Jerry Jones the 80-year-old owner of the Dallas Cowboys, still going strong. Now, we ain't riding in helicopters together this season. That's not what we did like we did last season. That hasn't happened, okay? We're not hanging out in this office where I'm eating, some, you know, sipping on some caviar and all of that. So we're not doing that, all right? But I still will take a moment to give love to Jerry Jones for this reason and this reason only. I think the other thing, the only thing more important to him than what I'm about to mention is a Super Bowl championship, which I don't see them getting, for the foreseeable future, in all likelihood, in his lifetime. And as a result of that, this is the consolation prize. And the consolation prize would be that, according to Forbes, the Dallas Cowboys are worth $9 billion. I'm going to repeat that. The Dallas Cowboys, according to Forbes, is the NFL's most valuable team in the year 2023. They remain on top 
at a record $9 billion. That's what their franchise is worth. Now, for those of you who are looking to put it in perspective, I know the Washington Commanders just got sold for about $6 billion plus. I know the average NFL team is worth about $5.1 billion. So let's put that in its proper context. But keep in mind that Jerry Jones purchased the Dallas Cowboys in 1989 for $150 million. And now they're worth $9 billion. Talk about a big-time investment. That would qualify. So give props where it's due. Also give props to the greatness of Jerry Jones as a businessman because Jerry Jones and the Cowboys generated According to my research, $1.14, I'm sorry, $1.14 billion in revenue last season alone, as well as operating income of $500 million. Okay, that $1.14 billion in revenue is 56% more than any other NFL team. And the $500 million in operating income is 133% more than any NFL team. The Yankees. My Yankees, to put it in its proper perspective, they're only worth $7.1 billion. So the Dallas Cowboys are now worth more than the New York Yankees. Dallas Cowboys play 17 games a year. New York Yankees play 162. And the Dallas Cowboys are worth $2 billion more than the New York Yankees. Got to give love where love is due in that regard to the great Jerry Jones. Let me move on to a subject that I know all of you have been waiting for me to discuss, and that is Skip Bayless and the show Undisputed on FS1. Skip Bayless uh, showed up on Monday after, uh, I think, approximately a two-month hiatus. Once Shannon Sharp departed, and ultimately they went on hiatus after the NBA Finals, um, they either were unable or unwilling to see the replacement sitting across from Skip Bayless for a couple of months. As a result, Skip Bayless was off the airwaves, so was undisputed. Um, and Monday, August 28th, they revealed their new lineup. Skip Bayless uh, is the moderator now. Uh, no longer is there a, a, a moderator. And joining him uh, is one of the great cornerbacks in the history of the National Football League, a champion, Richard Sherman. Uh, one of the great wide receivers in NFL history, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, also a Super Bowl champion, Richard Sherman for the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Keyshawn Johnson for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and of course the playmaker himself, a three-time Super Bowl champion, a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of the game, uh, Michael Irvin. Uh, they all joined Skip Bayless, and they will all be a part of Undisputed on a regular basis. Pretty much Keyshawn Johnson every day, Richard Sherman most of those days. Uh, from what I'm being told, Michael Irvin, in all likelihood, will be there on Fridays and Mondays. Um, I don't usually comment about the competition. Unless they say something about me, I leave them be. I'm bringing up Undisputed because Skip Bayless ultimately had a conversation with Richard Sherman that involved me. And I'll get to that in just a second. But as an aside, let me say this. I'm going to reiterate something that I said last week because I think it's important for y'all to hear. I'm pretty cool with Richard Sherman. I got a lot of love for him. Um, whatever troubles he had in the past, a lot of people were willing to throw shade on him. That was never me. I got a lot of love for Richard Sherman, who is nothing short of brilliant. He is a brilliant brother. Uh, he was an elite cornerback. 
Um, and obviously his education, being from Compton, going to Stanford, uh, being the brilliant mind that he is, a football savant, if ever there was one. Uh, I've always had a lot of respect for Richard Sherman. Um, and I'm really, really happy uh, that he is on television. He clearly is in a position he wants to be in. I know he was doing some Thursday night football for Amazon, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's good to see him doing his thing. Keyshawn is my brother. Keyshawn and I go back more than 20 years. Believe it or not, shockingly enough, I was once engaged. Believe it or not. Yes, that is true. Stephen A. Smith was once engaged. And my very first date that I went on with my ex-fiance more than 20 years ago was at Keyshawn Johnson's old restaurant near Wilshire and Robertson. And Keyshawn always, always, always treated me like a brother. And I've always had love for him and I love him. I love him dearly. And I was not happy to see him gone because I love the job that he did on first take. I know how brilliant of a football mind he is, but he's a genuine friend and a brother uh, that I love dearly, that I will vouch for any day of the week. And if I'm in a foxhole, that's a brother I want with me because he's a real one. So I'm happy for him. And of course, I'm happy for the playmaker. And I'm going to reiterate something that's very unpopular. I think it's a travesty what happened to Michael Irvin over the last few months. There was a woman, allegedly, supposedly, uh, whether it was her or it was the company itself that accused him of saying something inappropriate or whatever the case may be. The NFL, meaning the NFL network, sent Michael Irvin home from the Super Bowl, took him, pulled him from their coverage. That was bad enough. But for him to have an accusation levied against him, that ultimately jeopardized his career. And to this day, all we've seen is a 45 second video of him conversing with a young lady in the lobby and then walking away. And she walked away. We have no audio. We have no accusations that extend beyond that specific experience for him to be off the airwaves since February to be off the airwaves that long and to have his job in jeopardy, his future in jeopardy is a travesty. And somewhere along the way, and I'm one of those guys, look, you do the crime, do the time. Whatever ramifications or repercussions for your insidious actions you deserve, I'm down for that. But I have to admit to you, as a black man, it was incredibly scary. And it's something that I articulated to some folks in positions of power at various networks who will remain nameless. When I came to the defense of Michael Irvin, I hesitated because again, we didn't have all the facts. And I said, okay, well, let's see. But when week after week and month after month went by and not a damn piece of evidence came forward, I said, wait a minute. So somebody who doesn't happen to be black, who is a female, gets to stand before a black man for 45 seconds. Nobody hears what they said to one another. He didn't touch her other than to shake her hand, if, if that. 
and they walked away from each other and that's all it takes for this man to lose his career, what the hell does that say about the rest of us? So with that in mind, understand it was really good to see those three brothers on the air. Now, I wasn't too happy because two of them was working with me last year on first take. One of them is somebody that I wanted at ESPN for years in Richard Sherman. And all three of them are now on Undisputed. But I love them all. I got love for Richard Sherman, who I don't know that well, but I got love for him and profound respect for that brother. But Michael Irvin and Keyshawn Johnson are my brothers in every sense of the word. Richard Sherman is obviously my brother too, but you know, brothers, black men, but Keyshawn and Michael Irvin are friends that I know very, very, very well. So I'm very happy for them. I'm not happy for myself. But First Take's going to continue to do what it does. We've been number one, and damn it, we're going to stay number one if I got anything to say about it. And that's what I got to say about that. Now let me get to Richard Sherman and Skip Bayless. Because for you all, I wanted to play a part of the conversation that Skip Bayless had with Richard Sherman about what had transpired between them on first take more than 11 years ago. Before you play the sound, I want to say this to y'all. It was a lengthy conversation and I'm certainly not going to play it in its entirety. But I want it to make sure that I avoided engaging in revisionist history and really limiting myself to specifically what Skip Bayless was talking about. Because obviously, once upon a time, 11 years ago, Richard Sherman came on First Take when First Take had a special in the afternoon and Richard Sherman was our guest, still a member of the Seattle Seahawks. And he flat out called Skip Bayless out, called him a cretin, said he's better at, 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 at being a human being. And the list went on and on, just lit in the skip. It was one of the most uncomfortable moments any of us have ever seen or experienced in television sports history. It was that bad. And Richard Sherman just went right after Skip Bayless. So the fact that Richard Sherman is now partnering with Skip Bayless on Undisputed is something that took people aback. Well, Skip Bayless, in introducing Richard Sherman, wanted to revisit how things had unfolded and what exactly was going on at the time that Richard Sherman decided to try to undress him on national television on first take 11 years ago in the year 2012. Take a look. Now, more backstory from my side. Mm -hmm. First take at that point was on probation because we had had several incidents, fortunately not involving me. But we were one day away from our audition period, trying to stay clean. So I'm thinking quickly as you come after me, oh my God, this is terrible because Stephen A badly wanted to get an afternoon slot so that he could sleep a little longer because he goes late to the games and goes to a lot of games. I'm, I'm pulling for him and for us to get it. Mm -hmm. So I am dancing as fast as I can thinking, I can't really fight fire with my usual fire or this is going to blow up. Not that it hadn't already. Right, right. <sighs> Skip Bayless 
told the truth. We were in dicey situations. No doubt about it. He did not lie to y'all. Um, if you remember, <clears throat> I was considered a relatively controversial individual. And obviously I ruffled feathers from time to time, no doubt. There's a lot of mistakes that I made in my career. And there's no doubt about that. When I uttered, you know, when I, when I misspoke, speaking about the Ray Rice situation, and I didn't articulate my thoughts as cogently as I should have. I had an issue there. But I want to remind everybody, I wasn't the only reason. The part that Skip Bayless did not say is that although First Take had climbed the charts and was really establishing ourselves as the flagship show of the network as opposed to Sports Center, where we were en route to doing that, the part that Skip Bayless left out was the fact that the bosses at the time didn't care. They had remembered that Skip Bayless lived off of talking about Tim Tebow every day before I arrived. They had accused Skip Bayless, meaning the public, of being a caricature of himself. And even though Skip was incredibly proud of his Tim Tebow coverage and what was peeled from it, the bosses weren't necessarily enamored with it. Skip Bayless was incredibly proud of his coverage of Tim Tebow. The bosses felt otherwise. And so that's the part he left out. I wasn't the only reason that that probationary period per se existed. It existed because the network wanted to make sure that our show wasn't one that just generated ratings, but one that didn't cause them embarrassment and shame. Now, I didn't want to talk about Tebow every day and I damn sure wasn't going for it. And it stopped when I arrived. But to be clear and fair to skip. It did elevate the popularity of the show to some degree, even if people were critical of it. When they talked about Tim Tebow every day, although it got on folks' nerves, the bottom line is there were ratings that came from that. And Skip was very, very proud of that coverage. So it's not to throw shade on it from that. I'm just talking about what the bosses felt. The public might have been critical of it, might have minded. Some might not have minded, but they still watched. But in the end, they weren't too happy with it. The bosses I'm talking about. That is where the probationary period came from, too. So I thought Skip left that out. So I wanted to make sure that I highlighted that. Remember, I was the one that came along and said, why are we talking about Tim Tebow for? The man completes 46% of his passions. He can run. He'd be a great fullback or a tight end in the National Football League, but he ain't no damn quarterback. 
And you remember that video? All he does is win. All, all he does is win games. Unleash Tim Tebow. It's time. Let him play. Remember all of that that was circulating on social media? Yeah. That's where Skip gets unleashed from. Because of that video. Remember when John Legend came in and sang a song to Skip about Tebow? You know, just not on every show. Skip, won't you let it go? Go Google it. YouTube it. John Legend on first take. That was the song he made. He created it to sing to Skip Bayless to kill the Tim Tebow coverage. In case you doubt what I'm saying to you. Once again, Skip told the truth. As it pertained to me, he didn't lie. And I would never accuse him of that. Because he is an honest man for the most part. Not open, but he is honest. But he left that part out about Tim Tebow and him. That had a lot to do with ESPN's reservation and where he told the gospel to steal from Michael Irvin is when he says Stephen A. wanted to be on in the afternoons because he damn sure did not want to be waking up early in the morning every morning because that is entirely true. I like to go to the games. I like to be in the locker rooms. I like to hang out after games, and I can't do that since I've been doing first take because I got to get up so damn early in the morning to do the show. So my goal was to be to knock it out the park to a point where we get put on in the afternoon, and that way by being on in the afternoon, I wouldn't have to get up early in the morning, and we'd be good. So he's absolutely right. And that appearance by Richard Sherman, even though Skip didn't go after him for all the reasons Skip articulated accurately, I might add. We didn't get first take put on in the afternoon. They left us in the morning. That appearance by Richard Sherman cost us an afternoon slot. For first take. Just so y'all know. Let me move on to the next subject. Because it's necessary. Um, hard knocks. Some of y'all are excited about it. I'm not. Uh, it's the New York Jets. It's interesting to some degree. I get all of it. Um, sometimes I think it's a bit overblown. But hey, it is Aaron Rodgers. He's a bad man. But guess what? He proved it for a different reason. Again, on hard knocks last night. Because he took a hit from... Giants linebacker, and what does he say? Show some respect. I don't even know who you are, bro. That's one of the things that Aaron Rodgers said, and they talked about him dropping F-bombs and doing all of this stuff, and, you know, they asked the question on first take this morning, do you want the, the angry Aaron Rodgers or do you want the nice Aaron Rodgers? Blah, 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 blah. Let me say this to y'all. Give me angry all day anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, I reiterate to you what I said on first take this morning. I wish I had the sound. I'd show you exactly what I said. This morning on First Take, what I said was this. Sometimes you need somebody to get in your ass. We don't say that often, but it's true. See, when you're nice and, 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 and cordial and, and peaceful and, you know, all of this other stuff and tranquil, people tend to take advantage. Excuse my language, but they don't do the shit they supposed to do. They ain't on their game. They don't lock in and focus the way they're supposed to. And then all of a sudden you got to change up. And you got to get medieval on their ass. Remember Vic Rames? In Pulp Fiction? 
Step aside, butch. And shot that dude in the, in the, in the balls. Remember that? He said, I ain't do with you by a damn sight. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Sometimes that's necessary. Because you got some punk ass people that ain't focused on their job. They focused on getting over. They focused on doing everything, but what the hell they supposed to do. And you got to stop being nice because you realize you were taken advantage of. That's a quarterback. You the man behind center. You the man in charge. People smiling in your face and all of this other stuff. But they running the wrong routes. They ain't going back home and studying the playbook. They ain't watching enough film. They're not studying the opposition. They're not doing everything they can to maximize their potential. Instead, they cutting corners. I'm sorry. That's my experience. I believe I'm a very nice guy. I really am. Until I see you take my kindness for weakness. Then I'm going to get in your ass. And I'm going to show you that other side of this brother that ain't meant for FCC or damn near not even digital airwaves. I'm going to show you a different side. Because you took advantage. On an NFL field with 17 games in the season before the playoffs begin, you don't have time to pacify. So I got no problems with Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. Jets ain't won a division title since 2002. Jets ain't been to the playoffs in 12 years. What's there to talk about? You ain't been to the Super Bowl since Joe Namath was wearing tights, showing his legs like he damn, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 Taylor Swift or somebody. He ain't won tights since 1969, 68, 69. Hell with that. Damn friendship. Damn being cordial and nice and, 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 and peaceful. Bump that. Get it done. Get it done. So that's all I had to say about that. I hope I see more of that Aaron Rodgers. Okay, played in two series with the starters, hit five or eight pass for 47 yards with one touchdown. His first preseason appearance is 2018, 2018, threw a TD to Garrett Wilson. He's been a star of hard knocks every week. But this was the first time we actually saw him in game action since the preseason, obviously, because he hasn't played in a preseason game since 2018. So it was good to see him last night. It was good to see him acting like that. Let me transition uh, to Noah Lyles representing the USA. Um, track star. Um, the other day on first take, I had to articulate what some would deem harsh words for Noah Lyles and what he had to say about NBA players calling themselves world champions. Uh, if you didn't catch what I, uh, uh, what he said that set this all up, let me read you the quote that Noah Lyles said. He said, quote, I have to watch the NBA finals and they have world champion on their heads. World champion of what? The United States? Don't get me wrong. I love the U.S. at times, but that ain't the world. That's what he said. I proceeded to call him ignorant, to call his position ignorant. And the reason I felt adamant about that is because when I looked at it, I said, wait a minute. I happen to know as a guy that covers the NBA and has done so for the better part of the last 30 years, I happen to know for a fact that nearly a third of NBA players 
are not from the United States. I happen to know for a fact that um, you're talking about over 140 players that are from different, uh, from 40 different countries, 120 players that are from 40, actually it is 140, 140 players at least that are from 40 different countries and six different continents. All right. So I'm looking at it from that standpoint and I'm saying, what the hell is he talking about? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever what he's trying to say. It really didn't. It didn't make any sense to me. And I felt adamant about that. But then I got a text from a friend. And um, that friend would happen to be none other than a sensational actor who knows a good a thing or two about being an international figure because he's German, uh, big on tennis or whatever, a heartthrob because women think that he's one of the most gorgeous men on the planet, but he is taken. Uh, Nicola Ree Parker is his lovely, wonderful wife who is a friend of mine and she's one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever known in my life. As beautiful as she is physically, she's one of the most beautiful people I have ever known. I love her so much and I love this brother as well. And so I thought it was appropriate to give an education or to share with y'all the education he dropped on me, which I had to bow down to and acknowledge that he said, and I'm going to read it word for word for y'all. He didn't ask me to. He didn't even know I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's how much love and respect I have for him. I always have. We're, we're really good friends. I love him to death. And he saw the whole Noah Lyles uh, situation from a different angle than myself. This is Boris Kojo to your friend, Stephen A. Smith, to yours truly. My brother, I wanted to shoot you this text because you might have gotten one wrong today. I don't believe Noah Lyles meant to discredit any player or their level of play, but to draw attention to the uh, to the uniquely American habit of calling a national contest a world championship. Fact number one, world championships are global competitions in which individuals and or teams representing their respective countries compete for a world title. Examples, FIFA World Cup, FIBA World Cup, etc. Fact number two, Los Angeles is a city in the U.S. with a team called the Lakers. It is not a country and therefore couldn't possibly compete in or win a world championship, but rather capture multiple NBA titles. Fact number three, the NBA is an American sports league. The only international aspects of some of the players and the fact that it's watched around the globe. Just because teams compete in the best leagues in the world doesn't make them world champions. The Premier League in England is arguably the best football slash soccer league in the world. Yet nobody would ever call Manchester United a world champion. It would just be incorrect. Brother, you're right. The NBA has over 100 international players. Basketball is a global game. Of course, they want to play in the best league possible with a chance to compete on the highest level. But that has absolutely nothing to do with calling the NBA champion a world champion. The FIBA World Cup will crown a world champion in the next few weeks, and that title will go to a deserving team comprised of players of the same nationality, representing their country. Don't you know that just like, you know, Apple Pie on the 4th of July, promoting winners of professional domestic leagues as world champions, championships has been an American tradition for decades. It goes along with the other very American custom of labeling everything American as the best, greatest, biggest, most dominant awesomeness. I know this is not a word, just like the Warriors aren't the world champions, but just because it's tradition doesn't make it right. It's wrong. Maybe it's debatable, but it's still wrong. He was right.
which is why I apologized to Noah Lyles. My point, I believe, is valid. If you got international players from all over the world coming to the best basketball league in the world, I can understand how you could call yourself world champions. But he got literal with it. And from a literal perspective, Boris Kojo was right. That makes Noah Lyles right. It made me, at the very least, wrong to call his point and perspective ignorant. And that is why I apologized on first take. And it is why I'm apologizing now. Because when you're a man and you're an adult and somebody else makes a point, you got to give it up. And you got to be real with it. And that's what I'm doing right now. Plain and simple. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show. I got some more stuff to get into, especially involving this damn Ben Simmons who's getting on my last nerves. And by the way, LeBron made news too. Stick around to see what I'm talking about. I'll be back with more in a minute. You're listening to the Stephen A. Smith Show. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith Show right here Coming at you live on YouTube every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday Live at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific Over the digital airwaves of YouTube As a reminder, make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube Click the bell to get notified of all of our new content By the way my gratitude knows no limits. We've got a big audience watching live right now. Uh, so thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Third largest ever on my YouTube channel. And that's without NFL or NBA being in season at this particular moment in time. Once again, I'm, I'm you know, closing in on 300,000 subscribers. Um, <clears throat> obviously, big things are happening. Uh, couldn't happen without you. Won't continue to happen without you. I'd have no interest in doing this show if you weren't interested in watching it. I got enough jobs, uh, but I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this thoroughly. Matter of fact, I'm mad today that I'm on the road because I don't get to get your phone calls on this particular day because my phone system is not set up in our L.A. studios right here. So I just want to make sure uh, you understand that's the only reason you I won't be accepting phone calls today. I'll be back in my regular studio this Friday and I'll be back to accepting phone calls. But when I'm on the road takes you know technologically it gets complicated to take an abundance of phone calls because you got to have different kind of phone lines set up and stuff like that so that is the reason it's the only reason i'm only going to be taking your messages today whether it be text whether it be something sent over social media emails etc etc as opposed to your actual live phone calls so my apologies to that i'm not going to spend too much time on a couple of subjects i want to say this because i alluded to this coming into um I alluded to this coming in, going into the break. Uh, ben Simmons, NBA player for the Brooklyn Nets, formerly for the Philadelphia 76ers. Brooklyn Nets guard Ben Simmons recently shared photos of himself working out. And he said, quote, for me to come back and dominate people will be great. I don't intend to come back the same player because I am not even close to that. That's what he said. Um, I have to be. I want y'all to understand that when I say this, I'll openly confess to you that to some degree, it's a little personal. I'm pretty pissed off at Ben Simmons right now. 
Seriously. I think Ben Simmons at this particular moment is trifling as hell. And I say that respectfully because I like him. I loved him as a player when he played. And I like him as a person. He's a nice guy. I remember last year he came up to me and was talking about, you know, you know, just talking to me privately about some things and really opened up and expressed himself. And and I'm not going to share his business because that's his business to share. But I really appreciated that. And he came up to me man to man. And I love that. What I have a problem with him, for though, is that he's talking before he actually does. This brother has been basketball's version of Mr. Irrelevant for the last two years. And I want to emphasize this, too. I'm sensitive to mental health issues. I don't think we laugh at that. I don't think we excoriate that. I don't think we diminish that and act like, you know what, it's not an issue and it's not issues that people suffer from. People are harming other people. People are harming themselves. Those are people with mental issues. When you saw Naomi Osaka and how she would have these emotional and mental breakdowns, you know, inside of tennis arenas, press conferences and stuff like that. We've seen other people. Look, man, it's not a joke. And I understand that. But I pay attention to how you act when you're away from that environment. And you know what I noticed about Ben Simmons? He always makes sure he gets his money. He's never so disillusioned or foggy that he, he, he forgets when that check gets deposited. He certainly ain't foggy in the mind enough not to go get them fly-ass outfits he be wearing sometimes. Sitting on a bench in orange one week, yellow another. You know, looking like the male model and, and, and looking fly as hell. I wish I looked that good. Brother's a good-looking brother. I ain't swirling like that. I'm a heterosexual, but damn it, I'm man enough to know when somebody looks better than me. He does. Well, most people look better than me, but that's beside the point. You know what I'm saying, okay? I ain't chopped liver, but damn it, I ain't no male model. Brother looks good. Making money. Tremendous basketball player. And to be clear, ain't shit as a competitor. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. Enough of the talking while you're playing in the summer league. Enough of the talking while you ain't going against real competition. Ain't nobody look at your body and say you didn't have one. Ain't nobody look at your face and call you ugly. Ain't nobody look at you and say you need to get more definition or you need to get in shape. What we said is your behind needs to be on a basketball court. That's what we said. And he ain't there. But you still got to pay him back, knees, and all these surgeries and got 10 different people vouching for you and how legit your injuries are. Well, when the hell did they happen while you were taking out the garbage? Did you slip in the bathtub? Did you forget to cut your toenails low enough and bang them into a step or something while you were running up and really hurt yourself and you still ain't recovered from it? Are you Keenan Ivy Wayans from the movie I'm going to get your sucker when he's screaming like he's at war in war garbs and fatigue when all he hurt was his fingernail? Was that you? I mean, what the hell? I want to see Ben Simmons playing basketball. Period. 
If he was playing the way he was capable of playing and wasn't scared shitless, treating shooting the basketball like, like he at war, maybe, just maybe, Ben Simmons and the 76ers would have had a title. Maybe Kyrie and KD with James Harden would have a title. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Moving on, LeBron James made news. And speaking of and speaking of uh, Ben Simmons, you know, he's working out five days a week. I think that's what he said, working out five days a week, five hours a day. He said something like that. Who cares? Who cares? Show up on the damn basketball court when people are watching and games actually count. And then we'll give a damn about what you have to say. At this point, we got to stop caring about this, what he has to say. It's about what he does. Now, LeBron James, that's somebody you should care about, what he has to say. Because he has some things to say about his mindset ahead of this upcoming season. In a video posted to social media, LeBron James, 38, going on 39 years of age, still looking like an Adonis said, tired is only in the mind. You tell yourself you're tired, you're going to be tired. I don't get tired. Now, obviously, he's lying because we've seen him tired. But here's the reality. This will be LeBron's 20th season in the league. And guess what? Anthony Davis is nearly a decade younger than LeBron James. Anthony Davis is the one that signed a three-year, $186 million maximum contract extension, averaging about 62 a year, tying him to the franchise through 2028 for a total of $270 million. And LeBron James is in better shape than him constantly. Now, I don't know what the hell Anthony Davis be doing. Because I'm telling you right now, the brother's an all-world talent. And I really think he's a good guy, too. I'm not trying, I don't enjoy being critical of Anthony Davis, but there is no reason on this earth why you are dropping 40 in one game and 11 in another. There's no reason on earth why somebody like Nikola Jokic, as great as he is, is thoroughly outperforming you on a consistent basis. There's no reason on this earth why you, with LeBron James on your squad in a Western Conference series, should be getting swept by a Nikola Jokic-led team, even though Denver was a more, a more complete team. Anthony Davis got to show up. And LeBron James, to me, that's the, his most admirable trait. It's the fact that he takes phenomenal care of his body. Clearly, all time. I never see LeBron James out of shape. He, uh, he doesn't get ready. He stays ready. Anthony Davis gets ready. What the hell are you doing, bro, when, when the season ain't going on? What the hell are you doing, bro, when, this, when, when you got off days? What the hell are you doing? That's my issue with Anthony Davis. Because I got news for you. If Anthony Davis brings his A game and matches LeBron James' level of production, Lakers are title contenders. They ain't getting swept by anybody. And remember, Anthony Davis is supposed to be the number one option. And he's supposed to be in better shape than LeBron James. And he's supposed to have more energy than LeBron James. I know LeBron James is a freak of nature. But damn, Anthony Davis is a decade younger than him. What's up? What's up? Only thing critique that I have of LeBron James at this point is this. Yo, bro, you want to win so badly, don't you? Why the hell are you always in the gym alone? I don't mean literally. I mean... I know somebody's there with you, but I'm talking about how come Anthony Davis ain't in the gym with you? 
get over to his crib, snatch his ass out of whatever palatial mansion he's in and get his behind to the gym with you. Whether it's his house or your house. How about that? That's my issue with LeBron James. Yeah, it's nice to see you working out, but what you're really doing is showing off. What you really should be doing is showing off Anthony Davis and making sure he get his behind in the gym. I'm just saying. Moving on, I'm going to go the political route for a second here before I go to your calls. Because last Thursday, Donald Trump had his mugshot taken in Georgia, Fulton County to be exact. And it might be the best thing, believe it or not, that's happened to his campaign. Did y'all know since then, the former president has surpassed 20 million in the month of August in fundraising? Do you know since that mugshot was taken, his campaign has generated $9.2 million? Now, his campaign says the funds will only be used for political campaign activities, not to cover legal expenses. We know they're lying because that's what they do when it comes to Donald Trump. He's an habitual liar. And I'm not knocking him for it because it's like politicians don't lie every day. I know they do. But damn it, this brother gives lessons on lying. Okay? And we already know, because it's already been reported and factually proven, that Donald Trump has spent more than $42 million on his legal expenses. Why the hell you think Rudy Giuliani flew to Florida begging him to pick up Rudy's legal fees? Why do you think that happened? Because they're breaking them and these legal fees are piling up and Donald Trump is using the campaign to generate funds. So, again, that's not to excoriate or demean the former president of the United States. It's to highlight this reality to the Democratic Party. You better get them. You have any idea how stupid you're going to look as a party? First of all, you look stupid enough because you call yourself progressives and you're riding the coattails of a guy that's going to be 82 years old during election year, begging him to run for re-election. You call yourself progressives and the best you can do is an 82-year-old that's already in office, an 82-year-old incumbent. I personally believe if it wasn't for these damn high taxes out here in California, I would be a Gavin Newsom supporter. When he got interviewed by Sean Hannity on Fox News, I've never seen since Biden has been president, anyone on the liberal side that has been more forceful, more convincing and more defying against the right than Gavin Newsom and more effective. He was brilliant. But then I come out to California and these damn taxes, they invent ways to take your money in the state. So that might be problematic. But I got to tell you. I'd still approve of that better than you relying on an 82 year old candidate. Now, again, I'm voting for I'd vote for Biden over Trump. I'm not apologizing for that to anybody because statesmanship matters. It's not a dictatorship. Hell, I might even like some of Trump's policies more than Biden's. But what you can't have is a former president who, you know, if he gets reelected, will focus on nothing but exacting vengeance against those who opposed him. We won't have a democracy being run, we'd have an anarchy being run and an anarchist running it because that's what he would be just to exact revenge against his opponents, both on the left and the right. And that's what would concern me. Last point. I want to say this about Biden. Folks have brought up his age. Even I have brought up his age. I've questioned his cogency. 
um, how lucid he is at times, how together he is at times. That is true. It's not to knock him. It's just to point out that you're 82 years of age. It's undeniable. It happens. I'd be remiss if I neglected to mention he ain't the only one having, having problems. Have y'all seen the headlines? For the Senate Majority Leader, Mr. Mitch McConnell? Senate Minority Leader, have you seen it? Mitch McConnell freezes up again today. A few weeks ago, he was at a press conference. He was talking, and all of a sudden, he froze up. He couldn't speak. And his contemporaries on the Senate had to pull him away. He lost it. Before he came back a minute, a few minutes later, he started talking. Today, same thing. He just froze. These are not young, spry individuals. Father time creeps up on everybody. And if we're going to point out how it's creeped up on Joe Biden, we most certainly can point out how it's creeped up on Mitch McConnell. Period. Last point I wanted to make before I get on out of here um, and go to your calls, that is, or your not to call your messages for this particular day. I'll be back to get, taking your phone calls on Friday. Uh, Matthew Stafford, quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, Matthew Stafford, is reportedly having a hard time connecting with his younger teammates, at least according to his wife on a podcast. Staff is 35 and some of his younger teammates call him, sir. Here's what Kelly Stafford had to say on the podcast about her husband. She said, quote, Matthew's been in the league a long time. He's like the difference in the locker room has changed so significantly. They have a lot of rookies on their team. They're very young, but he's like, I feel like I can't connect. I think Matthew feels it's the most because he's so old and like a leader on the team. But he's like, I don't know how to lead people I have no connection with. I have to somehow find a way to connect with them, end quote. I find that explanation to be utterly ridiculous. Yes, the Rams drafted 14 new players in last year's draft. I'm aware of that. But I find it to be utterly ridiculous. When you're a parent, you struggle to identify with your children, particularly as they become teenagers. They like their own things. They want to do things differently than you do. It's a different culture. It's a different. You don't have to be like them. You just have to lead them. And on a football field, I don't care how young these dudes are. They want to make the team, don't they? And oh, by the way, not only make the team, but you certainly want to be actively involved in the team's success, don't you? It's very difficult to do that if the quarterback doesn't support you. So to me, those youngsters, I don't give a damn if they're on their smartphones, if they're playing cards, if they're playing PlayStation or whatever the case may be. You can't convince me, no matter how young they are, that any player wearing that uniform that's on a football team that wants to be a part of the National Football League ain't going to gravitate to the quarterback. Because they know that quarterback can get them paid. That quarterback can get them noticed. That quarterback can build their notoriety, etc. They know that. So if they are not relating to the quarterback, maybe it's the quarterback's fault. Maybe instead of Matthew Stafford, according to his wife, being too damn old, maybe he should ignore his birth certificate and just do what guys like Jerry Jones do. I sat in Jerry Jones' office last year when he had me riding on his helicopter with him. And then we had lunch in his office after an episode of First Take. I sat in Jerry Jones' office and I asked him the question about he just gets it, the marketing, the branding, the salesmanship. How is he able to pull that off, particularly when you have to ingratiate yourself with a younger audience? 
You know what Jerry Jones said to me? I surround myself with young people. I simply listen and I learn from them on how to communicate with them. It's not that hard if you really care enough to do it. In fairness to Matthew Stafford, he ain't the one that said this. This is his wife. I know they share a bed together. There's a lot of pillow talk that goes on. So nobody's accusing her of being inaccurate. But the point is, we didn't hear him directly say this. I get that. And I understand it. But with that said, assuming what she said was true. You heard the advice that I just gave you that Jerry Jones gave. Follow it and you'll be all right. The Stephen A. Smith Show coming your way. Back with your messages, your questions in a minute coming up. The topics you tweeted me to talk about, including Coco Golf, Austin Reeves, and of course, my daily routines. Stick around, don't touch that dial. You're listening live. Stephen A. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith Show, coming to you as I always do, live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Uh, Since we aren't taking live callers today, um, I decided I'm going to answer just a few uh, questions from Twitter. Remember, as of Friday, I'll be back to accepting live phone calls. I apologize that I couldn't do that today, but I wasn't in our regularly uh, scheduled studios. I'm here in an L.A. studio, and because of that, that's why... I'm strapped in, 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 in regards to that. But I can still take a few tweets. And again, I'll be back to accepting calls on Friday, okay? So let's fly uh, the first tweet. What do you want to talk about? Okay, so we've got guy Hart 4 Coco's match yesterday and the fact that the umpire kept letting Sigmund get away with time violations. What about it? Uh, the fact is, is that it shouldn't have happened. I thought I watched Coco Golf express herself very articulate, very respectful, yet very, very forceful. She was right to do so, and the crowd applauded her because she was absolutely right. When she's ready to go, her opponent, her opponent Sigmund, needed to be ready to go, and she wasn't ready. Nah, you don't get to dictate pace when somebody else is serving. You're supposed to be ready to go. Um, that's what the game has to go on. That's like an NBA game being scheduled for, for, for 7.35, but we're going to start at 7.45. We're going to start at 7.55. It's like a 24-second shot clock. All right, we're going to hold the ball for 35 seconds. It don't work that way. Rules are rules. And so Coco Golf was absolutely right to bring that up, and I applaud her for that. Comment from, what is this? Gone the better. G-O-N-T-H-E-B-E-T-T-O-R. Is Austin Reeves overrated for the Los Angeles Lakers? No, he is not. Nobody's calling him a star, but he's very good. He's tough. He can shoot. He defends. He hustles. He competes. Um, I like Austin Reeves a lot. And I think it's a big deal that the Los Angeles Lakers kept him in tow. Uh, He's a fan favorite in Los Angeles. He should be. Um, I'm very fond of him and his game. It's only going to improve, but... He doesn't take anything for granted. He works on this game all the time, and I give him respect and courtesy where it's due. Okay, so congrats to him. Congrats on getting his money. He didn't get as much money as Anthony Davis, that's for sure. But congrats on getting his money. And by the way, he didn't bitch and moan when he got his money like uh, D'Angelo Russell did. Although I would say this, he is underpaid. D'Angelo Russell deserved more than what he got. And that's saying a lot because he didn't do anything against Denver. 
He was awful in the Western Conference Finals against Denver, but he still deserved more than what he got. I really, really believe that. Last comment from Shockley Miles. Your process, routine, what it takes to do what you do at such a high level. An episode of Transparency. Do you even sleep? How do you manage being on all the various shows, etc.? Appreciate the question, man. Um, There's a difference between a job and a career. A job is doing what you have to do to maintain and sustain or elevate your quality of life. A career is doing what you want to do. And it just so happens to do those things. I have a career. Um, I'm incredibly excited and competitive in what I do. Um, It matters to me. I eat, I eat, sleep, and breathe what I do. Um, When I'm not reading a newspaper, I'm watching television about something that's, you know, pertinent to my job. When I'm not doing that and I'm stuck in my car, I'm turning on sports talk radio or political talk radio, whatever it is that I want to talk about. I love reading the opinions. I love reading perspectives. I love educating and edifying myself on different things that people don't think I would know about. But more importantly, my passion is not fake. It's real. And for me, um, me doing first take, for example, being number one, why do I fixate on being number one? Because I win. Why does that matter to me? Because I know what it's like to lose. And it's a lot more gratifying to win. I also know what it's like to be denied opportunities that one may feel they deserve. Well, it's easy to deny me if I'm not winning. It's easy to deny me if I'm losing. It's easy to deny me if I'm not bringing stuff to the table that's going to enable me to be all I can be. All of those things are relevant. And I got to tell you, as we sit here today and we think about those things, you know, for me personally, you know, getting up, going to sleep at night, making sure I got stuff on my mind, trying to get some sleep, then getting up, having those things on my mind, watching the opposition, meaning people that I'm going to debate, knowing the things that they've said in the past, how relevant it's going to be to the subject at hand, all of those things that matter, being knowledgeable about pertinent subjects, still working the phones, still cultivating my sources and resources, still being on my grind and being a presence and a conspicuous presence in in the field that I'm in. All of those things play a role. But I'll also tell you the greatest thing that's happened to me, my health. Um, I don't talk about it much. And I know some of y'all think y'all saw them lying ass pictures of me being bloated and looking a certain way to doctored nonsense and all of that other stuff. But there was a time before that, over the last year or two, where I was in really, really, really bad shape. I understand COVID hits everybody differently and I don't get caught up in all the things that everybody says about COVID on either side, both those who support it and the vaccine and stuff, those who are against it and opposed to it and think the conspiracy theories attached. I don't get caught up in all of that. I'm just talking about me. It almost took me out of here, y'all. Approaching the year 2022, I was in a hospital on New Year's Eve. It was 1030 at night, 90 minutes before the ball dropped in New York City. And they told me, we're going to try these steroids and these antibiotics. If this doesn't work, we're going to have to call your family. 
you're in a world of trouble. I had double pneumonia. Both of my lungs were filled to capacity. I was x-ray showing nothing but white. Almost took me out of here. I couldn't believe it. And you got to remember, I also had, since COVID, I had two knee surgeries because people were stuck at home and stuff like this. So I had two knee surgeries. And everybody used to laugh at me in these videos and stuff like that when they saw me thinking I boxed like that, whatever. I had two torn rotator cuffs. And I had surgery on both. In the left shoulder, it was rotator cuff and a bone spur. In the right shoulder, it was torn rotator cuff, torn bicep, bone spur, labrum. So when I had COVID and I had all of that, I couldn't lift. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't even do a push-up. Combine that with COVID and all the stuff. Just imagine you skinny with no definition whatsoever and a pot belly. Because I was also pre-diabetic. I was in bad shape. And from the point that they gave me the okay to exercise, it's changed my life because I work out now six days a week. Cardio, weightlifting, more cardio, boxing, everything. I don't mess around. And you'll see, because I'll show you in like the next month or so, I've already lost 30 pounds. I've gained a few pounds of muscle. I'm not messing around. You know why? Because there's no wealth without health. And I've dedicated my life to making sure that under no circumstances will I ever go back to the state that I was in courtesy of COVID and all my operations over the last two years. I ain't never going back. This a new me and I'm better than ever. Thank you for watching another episode of the Stephen A. Smith show. I got to get on out of here. Remember you can catch me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And be sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestseller, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. I got to get on out of here. It was beautiful talking to y'all as always. I'll be back in my regular studios. Same bad time, same bad channel. This Friday, don't miss it. Until then, it's your boy Stephen A. signing off. Peace and love, everybody. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.